Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Round 23 episode for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's been happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the guests that we've got in here t- today. Um, <laughs> we have um, Tim Alwani Roby in with us today. So um, normally you sort of interact with me for a start. I thought Tim was going to get the, all the, all, well, all the credit w- early. I was going to change my introduction to say my second favourite NRL referee, Gavin Badger. Because, but that would be a lie. Because <laughs> Tim is, is definitely up there. So, Tim, thanks for joining us today, mate. Yep, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, now, g- generally, one of the things we do on the show is go over the referee's GPS data for the weekend. But... I sort of wasn't sure whether we should do it today or not because when we talk about records, whether it's GPS data, um, box jumps, uh, what are what are the other ones that we've got in there? Oh, we've got some time trials on time trials and stuff. You, in the gym, you, big... you seem to get upset. What's all that about, mate? Well, it's a bit selective. You know, it's only the most um, spectacular things in the gym. I mean, maybe we should have awards for a few more things like. The old Nordic hamstring exercises or... Um, Do you happen to be good at that one? I'm good at those. I'm good at measuring your ankle uh, angles on your ankle flexibility. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't... It's like a, it's not the 100-metre race in the Olympics, so it gets less attention. It's not quite it, as impressive as a White Raymond or Bucky jumping yeah. 1.35 Maybe we could have GPS meters. that measures speed of thought rather than speed of running. <laughs> so instead of, like, the 100 metres being the main event, you want the steeplechase to be the main event. Yes. <laughs> Something a bit out of yeah. whack. That's right that, up your alley. That, that's right up your personality too. <laughs> well, just, just so every, all of our listeners know... Tim Awani Roby is the Nordic hamstring champion. So there you go, mate. You've gotten your credit for it. Thank you. And now can we move into the GPS data? Yep. Oh, Badge is pretty good with the Nordics as well. Thanks, yeah, he go, mate. He Thank goes you. all right. <laughs> um, so marathon runner this week goes to Phil Henderson. He hit 11 and a half kilometres as the assist referee in the Cowboys and Panthers game, which is uh, quite impressive for those non-calves of his <laughs> running running <laughs> his on those shin bones. Um, urgency award this week goes to a touch judge um, in Mark Bowen, which is outstanding for him to have had the GPS unit on him, hitting 166 high XL D cells as the touch judge in the Dragons and Roosters game. And as we've said many times, um, the touch judges seem to be getting these awards is, fairly um, regularly. Was Ricky McFarlane not running this week? Like, this is way out of whack. <laughs> Ricky's had a mortgage on this for a while. Well, if anyone sees Mark Bowen's quads, you might understand why he wins this sort of award. Yeah, he's got some massive quads on him, hasn't he? <laughs> um, and our gazelle this week um, goes to the Terminator, Ziggy. He hit 32 kilometres an hour as the assist referee in the Raiders and Manly game. And we actually managed to uh, track when that was. Um, and I remember sending a message to a few of the other boys when it happened. Uh, Half time. <laughs> <laughs> Running off the field. That, that is classic for him, trying to knock... Or in warm-up. Or in warm-up, um, trying to win an award then. Um, it was in the uh, the intercept try in the 67th minute, and I remember when it happened, um, I texted a few of the boys saying, well, do you reckon who's going to get this award? Will it be Hendo? Will it be Wiz? Will it be Ash or, or Ziggy, the four officials on the game? Because as we've spoken about before, generally we um, only get a crack at it if there's a long break. A, a long break and not a lot of defence to deal with as yeah. well because... Uh, yeah, and that's why touch judges will win it um, when we do have those long breaks on occasion because they can run straight down the touch line. Whereas referees, we've got to deal with the players in the way, and, and it's not a pure sprint to get to 90 metres because if we put our head down and just go, there's a lot we might miss or we may get knocked over. Yeah. Um, 
So we'll move into a few uh, incidents from the weekend, from round 23, and we've seen that at this end of the season, which happens uh, fairly regularly um, across the years when we get to this end of the season, there's plenty of desperation from teams which can lead to a lot of unusual things happening in games um, with moments that have a lot of feeling in them. So we sort of thought we'd talk a bit bit about what happened over the weekend and have a discussion amongst the three of us as to how officials can handle those um, sorts of scenarios. Yeah, so the first one we'll sort of have a chat around is the the Bulldogs game on Thursday night. So the Bulldogs and Parramatta, and this, you know, when Parramatta and, and Canterbury play, it's always a high profile game, no matter where the teams fall. But this one, you know, you had the the fact of Parramatta are playing for a top four spot. You've got the Bulldogs who mathematically can still make the eight, not a bit of a run. Mathematically, we love that word, math- <laughs> because at, at this stage of year, that's all most a lot of teams have to count on. You know, mathematically, we can still make it. But with the run they've been on, they're playing some good footy, and you know they want to finish the year well. So the first half of this game sort of runs along pretty smoothly. You know, it's going to plan and, and the officials are, you know, are, are running around, jumping in when they need to, staying out when they can, and the game's running. Um, Scorelines sort of, in this case, sort of aren't sort of where a lot of people thought they might have been, where Parramatta in front, where the where Bulldogs... The Bulldogs are, have been doing that to teams over yeah, the last month. And, and the Bulldogs have put themselves in a position to win the game, which frustrates a team that think that they should be winning when it comes to looking at teams on the ladder. Um, so then... What happens there with frustrations is that the team that think they should be winning start to get a bit frustrated. The team that are winning uh, on a bit of a high but then start to get put off a bit by the frustration of the other team. And you know, it, and as officials, if we sort of lift with that as well, we can also create and add to that. Um, so we've got to make sure that you know, we keep our composure. And in this game, the frustrations came out of virtually one incident and then continued on. So you had the incident where um, Nathan Brown was placed on report for um, uh, a hit off the ball, you know, using his shoulder. Uh, you have the Bulldogs player who watched a replay of it because it happens off the ball. So a lot of the players don't see it as it happens. It happens off the ball. Then when the referee's trying to, you know, um, caution Nathan, then you have the, the Bulldogs captain who comes to want to have his say. And then we've got players come close proximity. Frustrations boil over. You see everyone run in. So we've got 26 players to control that. So, I th- you know, th- this time of the year, we see this a lot more because it, it is through frustration more than anything else. So as referees, you know, we've got to have heightened awareness that in games that seem to be just running, that it can happen at the click of a fingers because no- there was nothing leading into this that, that sort of led to it. Yeah, just comes out, sort of comes out of nowhere. Now, Tim... We've spoken about the massive hamstrings that you've got with the Nordic hamstring curls, but you're not the the biggest um, human, so you don't have the physical presence which some of our other referees do. do. And between the three of us here, um, physical presence is not our... I guess something that we're na- that we're going to naturally have to help us in these sorts of scenarios. So, what are the sorts of things that referees can de- do to deal with emotions of players, dealing with game situations, having some authority? Well, the biggest tool we always have is is around communication in these kind of instances. So, um, well, before you get to that, it's about creating space, and we use many different ways of kind of getting away from from certain players. Um, creating space in the middle of the field away from both teams, separating the teams, and to give us a bit of breathing space to either speak between ourselves as officials, um, gather your thoughts, and then, yeah, the main thing we have is is when a captain comes over or a, a player that you need to caution, it's it's the communication that we have, with the way we speak to them, and we can vary that between being you know, more um, respectful or polite at certain times to more authoritative at, at different times, and... Yeah, you know, physical presence is one thing, but we obviously aren't there to knock players over or to intimidate them. So um, it's mainly about how you speak and, and, and what you say and how you deliver it. 
Yeah. You, you spoke about um, space there. It's also time. By mm. creating space, you're creating some time because that gives people the opportunity to sort of simmer down and, and, and regain themselves, regather themselves, mm. you know, and that's why we look at trying to create that space. The further we can sort of separate, we can get ourselves away from the situation and players have to come to us. You know, it gives them that chance to get it off their chest. And it, yeah. it, Sorry, you yeah, go, Tim. So, so often, you, you know, a player will come over aggrieved and they want to they speak and it's really quickly and it's emotional. And in different circumstances, to let that happen briefly um, can really diffuse the situation as well because we, we want to listen to the players at, at, at certain times um, and, and yeah, so you can buy yourself time by letting that out a little bit and then saying your piece and having a proper dialogue as well. Yeah, I think that's a really important point there, Tim, where we don't want to be trying to cut off or speak over the top of a plate to a certain extent. Obviously, we're not going to let them, you know, go on for 10 minutes on a, on a rant, but let them get out what they've got to say. And in that time, we've had to- we've had time ourselves to compose ourselves and then to to respond to that player. Um, just, just on that case, so um, you, you speak about that happening in game, and it's you know all good and well that that happens, and then we deal with it. But are there any you know sort of training methods that you could use going forward? Because yeah, thinking out loud, I, I'm sort of it, it's it's a hard one that you can prepare for, you yeah. know, go in prepared for, for those, especially at our level, we don't get them a lot anymore. So, yeah, so, so how we, do you prepare yourself sort of going, well, if this happens, how am I going to deal with that? Well, we've sort of spoken about that in the past before as a squad in that we have tried to simulate some of those things and you do it at lower levels, but it's very difficult to replicate in just a, a, an acting scenario because if we're doing that here between the three of us, so I'm acting as the referee and you two are acting as the captain of each team, for example, or captain and player who's being spoken to, there's no ramifications for you two. Yeah. So the things that you'll say or you continue on with speaking to me in our little acting out scenario, it's just not realistic. Like that, It just doesn't happen on the field. The one of the best things we do is learning from experience, from ourselves in situations we've dealt with in the past, and that's why it's so important to have a strong foundation when you're coming through the, the ranks of, of refereeing at different levels so you can experience all the different types of football um, and experience through watching other referees and seeing that was, how... That yeah, was where I was heading with this. And, and seeing how they deal with it. Um, so, you know, you might watch a certain referee and go, well, what they did there worked really well or it worked really well but... They could have done this better. Um, they still had players in proximity. So if we take the bulldog that, that game on the weekend, um, we probably uh, we probably as match officials there could have bought ourselves more, given ourselves more space where the bulldogs player and the captain weren't as close to the incident um, with the the referee uh, dealing with the Parramatta players. So perhaps we can try and think about that next time and go, well, I want to make sure I physically get away from that area. But in the moment, it's so hard to weigh all that up because you know you're under, you're also under time, you, you feel like you're under time pressure. When you know the cameras are on you, um, anything that happens on the field feels like it's 10 times longer than yeah. what it is. Sometimes I like to just pick arguments with people on the street to, 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 practice, <laughs> to practice, you know, you do, conflict sometimes resolution. Sometimes you don't even try; it just happens True, naturally. Or, I've been on planes with you, or yeah. in restaurants, but um, <laughs> I, well, yeah, but in all seriousness, something, something, um, a lot around body language as well. To, to go back to the physical presence is, you don't have to be big or, or small to know how or to learn how to use your mm. body in a your body language in a, in a calming way at certain times or in a non-aggressive way or in a more authoritative way where, where it's needed. So, Yeah, so we were talking about, oh, yeah, about um, 
in a aggressive manner or something like we don't point yeah, we don't, don't use, use sharp gestures sharp aggressive gestures um so you, like you say yeah you don't have to be big to have that presence on the field but if you look confident we talk about like um being upright open sort of I'm making, chest, making but, eye contact yeah those small things that can make the difference between the reception you get when you're dealing with an irate player. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so off, off the back of that, and it was a little bit of a different situation, but you were up in Brisbane uh, for the Brisbane South game, which is another high-profile game, and there was a lot of media attention around that, the, the, the coaches and, and the drama and, and the theatrics of rugby league. What we love yep. about rugby league around that game. Um, and the back end of that game, so you've probably got, we, we spoke about it yesterday, the longest minute in history <laughs> of rugby league, um, which is a little bit different than this situation, but it's similar in the fact that you know the game can present these incidents where you've got South who are up by two points, and there's a minute to go, they've got the ball, so they're going to do everything they can to hold that ball and take as much time up as they can so that they don't have to defend another set. As officials on the field, you've now got to try and get them to play as well. Mm. Um, you've got to then control the Broncos and make sure that they're doing everything right. So just on-field, how did that feel in that last minute? Did it feel like it went forever? Yeah. And did it feel frustrating? Did it feel like, you know, like well, what, what well, was like, that like? Yeah, like you said, that, that last minute of the game for the space of two or three tackles just felt like it went forever. And it, there are times on where you sort of felt like you're helpless, like you're going, just play the ball. Just like please, Just please, play someone ball. play the ball. Yeah. Um, and it was just unusual. We've spoken before about there are certain things that you can prepare for as officials and referees, and then there's certain things, and I even mentioned it earlier, that you, you can't uh, be ready for unless you've experienced it before. And I don't think any of us have been in a game where... We had the two Simbins, so similar to actually my game Melbourne and Canberra last week where we had two Simbins against the same team. So one team has had 20 minutes playing with 12 players. Um, then they're up by two points and and then in the last minute of the game to have some, a, a situation present itself like that. We would have never spoken about that, trained for it. It's just impossible to come up with every sort of scenario yep. for us to prepare for. So in that scenario we've got to think about okay well we've got to stay calm because we know all the players are up we've got souths who just want to take as much time as possible and don't want to play the ball and who are getting cranky because we're calling time off and going why are you calling time off then we've got the broncos who are getting cranky because they're going well why aren't they playing the ball and then broncos are then well, splitting at mark and- they're, they're splitting yeah. at marker they're moving up off the 10 meters so we've got to control them as well so you've got 26 players on the field all feeling aggrieved in some capacity and the four officials going, we've got to get out of this game and make the right decisions because we're in a game-critical scenario. Yeah, one decision in this last minute has an impact on the whole game, which has an impact on what you do next week. For us and, and, and for, for the teams because yeah. that's the difference between a team making the top, top four, four, making yeah. the top eight. It's, it's huge and you feel that pressure. Um, so I guess for us it was just... It's, it's talking through it as a team. Um, so we had Ben Cummins, the head referee, speaking to Henry, who was um, the assist referee, trying to get him to control the play the ball because Henry's in closer proximity. Then we had our, in terms of talking as a team, we had our match day coach, so Russell Smith up in the old video refs box, talking to me saying, hey, Case, why don't you actually get back on the 10? Because usually in that field position, um, I'd be, I was near the ruck and usually I would stay there. And he had a tip to saying, actually, you might be a better use back on the 10 because Brisbane are trying to ramp up there. So that's using all of our resources to try and, in the moment, combat a situation. Um, so it was awkward. We sort of got through it. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, it was just one of those moments that um, was unusual, but this time of year definitely brings it. Well, well the hard point around that as well is because, you know, the, the, the person sitting in the pub watching the game says, well, why don't you just penalise it for time-wasting, you know, souse with the ball, um, which, you know, you, you look at it and you go, well, you don't know if it's time-wasting. You, you get one where you get... James Roberts. James Robert, who's down, you go, he legitimately could be injured yeah. here. So if you were to stand there and blow a penalty and then the bloke gets carried off, it, you know, you're going to look pretty silly. So the the option that we the best option we have is just to blow time out, which is what's happened, yeah. which is what happened. But, yeah, when you do that, it puts more pressure on, on you to perform then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we move on to a second talking point from the weekend, which was um, the intercept try in the Canberra and Manly game in the 67th minute. It's caused quite a lot of... Um, of chatter and Graham Annesley came out yesterday speaking about it in his Monday briefing as well. So we thought we'd sort of have a discussion around why the bunker didn't check to see if the player was offside in taking the, in- the intercept because that was a lot of the commentators were saying that and a lot of the talk has been, a- been around that. Um, so we sort of thought, well, the reason it wasn't checked is because it can't be checked. We don't check the if Effectively, a player being on or offside is something that happened prior to that play. So when the, once the ball is in play, that's that's where we can check something under the, I guess, the policies of, of what we do. Um, and that's sort of been spoken about and then you hear other people, other commentators say, well, yes, that's the rule, but, okay, we'll change it. Yeah. They should be able to do it. Well, there's varying reasons why we don't. So we thought we'd sort of have that discussion. Yeah, and, and since there's before pre-bunker, so even video ref days, we... we um, didn't check for 10 metres. And a lot of times, the so we, we coach to give a go call when we say the ball has cleared the ruck. Sometimes that's out of fraction from when the ball actually has cleared the ruck. So the players go off our go call. The bunker doesn't have access to that as well. Yeah. So technically it would be impossible for the bunker to adjudicate when we called go to when the players left. So that's another factor as to why it's almost an impossibility for them to check it. You also have, especially in this case, where you've got goal line defences as well, where the players only need one foot on the goal line to be onside. And then they've already... So you think about if you've got one foot on the goal line, one foot in front, you're already half a metre to a metre in front, if that makes sense, of the line. But you're onside. Yeah. So then, if I take my back foot off the line, mm. as the ball's cu- just a fraction before the ball is played, I'm now technically offside. Yeah. Where really I'm still in exactly the same position I was. Yeah. So just the fact that I've lifted, lifted my back a leg foot off the ground would then place me offside, mm. even though I haven't pre- moved gone forward. Any farther forward. So, um, yeah, th- th- that's just a couple of where I could go. You know, there's there's many other is- issues why we can't do it, but there's a couple just to throw in straight away. Yeah, the the element of offside in our game on the on the ten meters is something that happens what three hundred times in a game. Yeah, and it, and it, it's not something that translates into just being black and white. It's not like a, a soccer ruling of offside where you can freeze frame and it's either right or wrong. It's um, it, the game's too fluid and too fast, and the guys on the side, the touch judges, are making constant assessments of what's acceptable and what's not, and judgments around you know what whether something is half a foot off or, um, as you say, on a goal line, it can be a matter of split seconds or inches between whether someone is technically on a line or not. So to take that live fluidity out of a game and then try and put it into a freeze frame in a video referee just doesn't fit with the fabric of our game. Mm-hmm. It's not... Look, the, the, there are there can be occasions where we would get one completely wrong and say miss someone who's five metres offside and, you know, that shouldn't happen and it actually doesn't really. Yeah. But 
in terms of trying to judge within a certain barrier of subjectivity, it just it doesn't fit with the way that our game flows. The, the other issue you have is if the referee is setting a distance that's not 10 metres. Yeah. So what if the referee is 12 metres and the player is 11 metres, is he on or offside? Yeah. Or vice versa, the referee is 9.5 metres and the referee... Yeah, and, yeah. And, if yeah. you want to get it perfect, let's, let's have NFL, let's stop at every play yeah. and let's paint a line exactly 10 metres along and everyone's got to stand with the toe behind yeah. it. But nobody in the game wants that, so yeah. we have to make those live judgments. And, and this is a scenario where when people talk about, well, why don't we change it and let the bunker rule, rule on it, is that, well, very easy for, them to, for people to say that when the player is on the goal line. Yeah, when there's a line. Or, when, or it happens to be that the 10 metres is set, the referee is set on the 40 metre line, on the 30 metre line, where there's a, a demarcation on the field, which makes it easy to see, is that player's foot on that line? And different, I'll just show another thing to that, is that, as you said, on the goal line, they've only got to have one, one foot on the goal line, which is different to everywhere else on the field. So that changes as well. The difficulty for the bunker, if we did move to letting them check, check it, is that... What happens when the ball is be when the ten meters is marked twenty three meters out from a line, forty seven meters out from a line? How do, we, how do we how do we see if that player? How do you judge that? You don't have a line to mark, and with that as well is that that comes into camera angles. We know, and Tim, Tim, you would know because you do a lot of touch judging as well. There are certain grounds that we get our film from when we're reviewing our game, where we look at. We get two angles. We get pro, what's called program vision, so that's what viewers would see when they watch TV. So the tighter sort of camera pans in and out and whatnot, and what we call eagle cam, so a high shot of the ground. Now the high shot of the ground depends on what field you're at. Sometimes you see the entire field. Sometimes you see half of it. Sometimes it does zoom in and out. So there are times where you don't actually see all 13 defenders. So what happens when it gets sent to the bunker and we're looking at the centre or the winger, but they're actually not in shot? Yeah, yeah. you only have the one referee who sets the 10 metres at any given time. So you can have a camera angle, you know, nowhere near in line that it yeah. has a referee potentially, what, 40 metres away from a player yeah. that we'd be looking at without a line to whether you know what your tolerance level is and how you define on offside, so yeah. it's just it's not practical. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not. So, all right. So break it down then. As a touch judge, and you spoke about you two guys um, do it fairly regularly. So what are you looking for when you're a touch judge when you're adjudicating the ten meters? So yeah, obviously when you've got a goal line or ten meter, looking at line. But so yeah, how how does it work and, and how you how do you do it and then how do you relay that to the referee? Yeah, it's about building up. We talk about painting a picture. Um, on the lines and each game becomes its own kind of story like that so um, if, if someone's clearly offside then we'll give what, what what's called action comms and that's you know if that person then makes a tackle we're more than likely going to give a penalty but a lot of instances will fall into what we might call working comms as well so someone on the other side of the rook from where the ball goes who may be half a step offside would be a name that we'd feed to the referees and they would try to get next to them maybe later in the set and, and try and work them directly. And that's kind of the, the oil that greases the wheels of the game to keep flowing and keep moving that we do constantly. Um, and the, mainly the touch judges will be factoring the, you know, as the game progresses, um, how we are building our tolerance levels and what's acceptable for this game and um, and across the competition uh, as each game progresses. Okay. Yeah. And like, like Tim said, so we have those um, working comms for a player might be half a metre offside on the other side side of the ruck, but 
if we play, call that player or that team multiple times, even though it's working comms, well, that starts to talk about painting the picture. That starts to paint a different picture and we start to go, well, now they're just not responding to us. We're not going to continue to work for 80 minutes. Yep. And that's where we then go to take, start to take action. What about tolerance levels? So you're looking at players that are marginally offside on short sides. You're looking at players that leave early compared to players that don't get back at all. Is that, you know, do you factor in all those differences? Yeah. So an offside player can't influence the course of the game. Now, what's influencing the course of the game? Yeah. Well, there's a myriad of factors. Yeah. Have Obviously, if they take possession of the ball. Okay? If they make a tackle, well, was it a one-on-one -on -one tackle? And then that person obviously influenced the course of the game? Or were there already three people in the tackle and that person just joined the tackle and it was not much influence? Have they shot up off the goal line and stopped a play from shifting out and the team have to turn the ball back in? Have, have they done that? Well, that's a different type of, um, you know, way that they've influenced the course of the game. But then if you go to the law book as well, um, the player, uh, it's, it's until the player, the offside player has lost any advantage that they might have had from being offside. So say I was offside, but then I checked my run, I stopped, my whole line came up with me, then I go, well, they've actually not gained any advantage from that. Yeah. Different if they were already three metres offside. Or, or if someone was going to run through that hole. I was going to run through that hole and I've, I've, I've blocked that hole. Yeah. But if the play was nowhere near me when I was offside by maybe half a metre to a metre, I let my line come up with me. Well, I've now lost any advantage I had gained from being offside. So that's where we would then go, well, we can play on. Again, if that happened multiple times in a game by the same player or same team, then we look at taking action. Yeah, we, we make distinctions all the time between, um, you know, whether it's offside with heavy line speed or yeah. whether it's someone, what we call linking off a break, who just kind of turns and, and joins the line late. Um, so there's a lot of factors to it. And I think an example in my game, at, um, the Cowboys game at the weekend, where Regan Campbell-Gillard, they're trying to put kind of line pressure in, in yardage and he get, he's about, I mean, I call him two or three metres offside. And the guy, he's second or third man into a tackle, but the guy with the ball breaks the tackle and then continues running another 15, 20 metres. So we hold off with a penalty because there actually isn't an advantage gained yeah. from, from the infringement offside. of being offside. So, yeah, it's, it's not a case of just making these black and white judgments. It's, it's working out what the advantage gained is or isn't. And this is a big thing for, you know, your everyday fan who's sitting on the hill at Leichhardt Oval and starts yelling, you know, they're all in front of you. Yeah, technically they are. But if we were to blow a penalty every time someone was in front of us, we wouldn't get any footy. So th this is, that's why I asked the question. This is you know, the understanding of there are so many different facets to whether we blow a penalty or not. And like you say, it could be game dependent. It could be that you've had the same player who's just really not giving mm. you anything and, and making you work harder than you need to. Or it could be the fact that they've just influenced play. And influence doesn't mean making the tackle. Like you say, it could be turning back yeah. inside and back outside. And, and the other factor to weigh up there as well when people say like if we go back to that incident on the weekend in the Canberra and Manly game um, you know in either how don't you see it or they should have called that or whatever is that you've got one touch judge because you're going to have one touch judge who's on the generally on who's going to be on the ruck so you can have one touch judge who is looking at potentially 13 players across a line and you're saying well in a split second you've got to weigh up looking at all 13 players who are spread out across potentially a 68-metre wide field, and you tell me which one left a split second early. Yeah. It is quite difficult. It's a um, very good skill set. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that, that, that's. I just think that if we go back to our thing about the bunker as well in checking it, I just think that if we do allow the bunker to ch- check that, uh, I think any time there's a change of possession which leads to a try, so I drop the ball and you pick it up, there's an intercept, whatever it might be, we will check every single one of them. Well, yeah, well, and uh, yeah. you talk about changing the fabric of, of the game, Tim. It's just not what our game's about. And I think it also opens a bit of a can of worms um, in we just spoke about the... Um, the the impact of the offside player. Well, now is the bunker just going to look at the actual player who took possession of that ball and are they offside? Or are we going to start to look at, well, there was a bloke next to him who was offside um, but didn't pick up the ball. Well, did they impact it by not letting them yeah. continue to shift or by turning them back on the inside or whatever it might, it might be? There's just... So, so many subjective things that could then be weighed up and that's just not what our game... I just don't think that that's right for the game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and that's just to give a little bit of an insight to, to those out there that aren't in the inner sanctum of what we do. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time. So I just hope that people out there listening sort of get a little bit of an understanding as to why, when, how, yeah. you know, the And the difficulties is. of it. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about the, the fabric of the game. Um, it's a bit of a um, philosophy um, that, we, that we sort of speak about sometimes, which is um, quite... Uh, quite apt for us today in having Tim in, in with us because Tim is known as the philosopher of our group. We might get you to give a bit of a rundown of your background as to as to why um, you're known as that, mate. Uh, yeah, well, I studied uh, philosophy back in the day at uni um, and, yeah, I like to think of myself as... Um, I try to think about the bigger picture of, uh, of the game and, um, yeah, I also might be known as the conscience of the group. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just, That's just, why we like you. Yeah, just really to... Uh, like, I don't think that what we do is just about um, shooting fish in the barrel of right and wrong and offside, onside. It's about thinking about the holistic picture at times. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a part of the game and a part of the community of the game just as much as anybody else's fans, players. And I think it's healthy for the game all around for us to... We're, you know, we're appropriate to, to take on that kind of holistic view as well. Well, w- with that, um, what are your thoughts on whether match officials do hold responsibility or or what amount of responsibility for that the product of the game? Um, you know, should we be just instructed to, to do things or do we have a responsibility to say, well, this is how it should be or we're going to change this for this reason? What are your thoughts there? I, I absolutely think we have, a, we have a place to think about those bigger questions. So our expertise is always going to be about you know, decision-making. We know how it feels. We know how a game can be run well and run badly from an officiating point of view. But take any sphere of, of, of human culture, and it's, and it's usually unhealthy if we divide the labour to such an extent that one group doesn't think about the role of another and and so on and so on. It's best that we're that all we... si- that we're all siloed and nothing interacts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and we can't have such rigidity between the different stakeholders. Would be a, a fashionable mm. way of putting it in the game. <laughs> um, and I think yeah, we talk about should we think of of the wider products of the game. And I I just think to get away from thinking about everything as a brand and a product all the time, and 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 think of it as we're part of a community and. The best, the best way to put it is every now and then in our, our, our environment we'll come to be asked or talk about um, potential rule changes or interpretation changes um, and our opinion or our kind of advice on how that would be uh, you know, useful or not officiating-wise. But you can't separate the question of how easy or difficult something is to rule on field from 
you know its place in the health of the game. And um, yeah, I think when when we get faced with those questions about how what changes would be good for the game, we have to consider the bigger picture as well with it. So we had a bit of a conversation about this the other week about, um, I guess, uh, how the game can be so structured or predictable Mm. and um, how it could be changed to be less predictable, perhaps more exciting. And, well, even is that right or wrong? Is Is it right to go... Well, how can we make the game more predictable, uh, more unpredictable? Um, is that the right way way to go? Um, so there yeah. are so many thoughts there. Yeah, maybe, maybe the initial reaction of some fans would be a, a bit alarmed to think that we would be thinking along the lines of, you know, how do you keep the game um, uh, more unpredictable? But I mean, it, we can't go too far down the road of this kind of thing. But a concrete example would be, you know, how we enforce advantage and, and zero tackle rulings. So. If we just follow the letter of the law and don't think about the wider place of the game, then we can't adjust how we would rule, say, a zero tackle. In in terms of, you know, it's it, it's caught on the 10 by a player who's known to be a broken field runner or yeah. a certain time of the game or whatever else. And we should be encouraged to think in terms of what will allow the game to um, perhaps be more unpredictable and... Yeah, the, the the way for the game over a longer term to, to figure these things out is, you know, we, we have panels of expertise who might be players, coaches, fans, and it's to not have any one section of the game with a monopoly over that kind yeah. of opinion. Like, yeah, we, a referee's not going to have necessarily the best view compared to, say, a player, but... But it's just a, a, a view to add to the group. Yeah, and it's 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 just unhealthy to disavow yourself of, of any place with that kind of consideration because... We're there, we have a feeling about it, and, and I think we can contribute in yeah. that way. I sort of want to take it a little bit away from footy at the minute. <laughs> um, I know we're here for footy, but um, recently you've you've had a name change. It's mm. something that Casey and I are really proud of you of, um, for doing. Um, just want a little bit of a background around that and, and why you sort of came to that point. Yeah, I, I decided to change it on the occasion of my 30th birthday just the other week. Um, Your 30th 30. birthday? Wasn't that 20 years ago, mate? Look at you. <laughs> 20, my 21st. <laughs> it nearly happened in my 20s. So, um, yeah, my partner, Helana, is um, from Morocco and we met in the UK. So, um, yeah, a few years back and, and she decided that she didn't want to change her surname. Um, it's not something that would be culturally done back home for her and um, she only has sisters as well. So it's a case of kind of Family you know night. there's a pride of the, yeah. the heritage and there's absolutely a political element to it as well that you know we both don't think that she should kind of give away her name just to be seen as you know the historic roots of this are about <laughs> she's not my chattel and yeah. something ridiculous yeah. not joining so, the patriarchy <laughs> yeah i mean look, obviously first and foremost it's a personal thing between us two yeah. um but yeah there are i don't want to pretend that it changes the world but it's it's I talk a lot about these political causes. I talk a lot about, um, say, the patriarchy like that, or the example of like a, a surname that you look in a place like France where there's a, a large diaspora of, of people from North Africa. It's a common thing to talk about discrimination in terms of the job market and, and stuff like that. And I will always speak about that. And I kind of thought, well, there is an element of you can't, you've got to put your money where your mouth yeah. is. You've got to walk the walk as well. And um, alongside it, sounding pretty cool as well. I think. <laughs> cool sounding, though. Um, yeah, there, there are a whole number of elements, and, and I didn't want her to just take my name. She didn't want to either, so uh, we thought that, yeah, um, there's no reason why you can't change it and, you know, make a statement. And yep. My name is from, uh, from Lancashire originally, and then I live in Australia, but uh, with a Moroccan partner, so 
it's all about having a hybrid identity and, and being proud of the different yeah. parts of it. I know when we talk about, um, off topic again, but the um, <laughs> thing around like climate change is, um, you know, think globally, act locally. And what you mm. say about, you know, you're thinking about all these wider issues, well, putting your money where your mouth is, going, well, that's, glo that's globally, well, I'll take a, one piece of action in my life, um, you know, to make a, a, a small difference or yeah. as, a, as a signal of going, well, this is, you know, who I am and what I believe. Yeah, I didn't want it to, to be vain in the sense of thinking that I can change it, but also, you know, what, what can be what can be more personal a stake than your name to put to put out there to display what you think about things it's it's kind of the the only thing you, you own at the end of the day yeah. really so um, absolutely well it leads us into another question to ask you about because people can probably tell, tell you quite big similar to us on um uh cultural inclusion sort of issues social awareness, social awareness issues and um, we're pretty proud that you're our representative as the nrl referees on the nrls um the, the name of it is the cultural... Yeah, Cultural uh, Inclusion Advisory Group yeah. and Diversity at the NRL. Yeah, so um, the NRL is looking at, obviously, how to be better in all of our different uh, areas, all of our... within the business. Um, so I guess I just wanted you to talk a little bit about, about that and where the game um, sort of sees itself and what we're trying to do as a broader game in that space. Yeah, I think it just kind of shows the pattern over the, the past few years of a, a governing body such as the NRL has a big profile in Australian society. And um, the stances that it's publicly taken on, say, the gay marriage um, plebiscite or uh, all sorts of other issues shows that just because you're in a sport doesn't mean that you're somehow removed from the society around you. So, yeah, this working group is just one one small thing kind of focused within the organisation about making sure people from different cultural backgrounds are represented, understood, um, working on violence against women and, um, you know, the ways that you can raise awareness and, and, and work against that within a workplace. Um, and I, I just think it's really important that a body like the NRL has a voice by virtue of its popularity and its place in society. And, it, and it'd be a travesty not to use that. And you, and you can look at various examples around the world of where that's not done and where it is done and, and, and it can make a huge difference. So. Yeah, I think it's um, important, like you said, that sport is just, um, it, it's not separate to society. It's, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's part, of, part of it. And we talk in so many ways about how sport can be so good in, in different ways, in whether it's raising money or awareness for certain, certain causes. Um, and I guess this is where, you know, in an organisation like our, like the NRL, um, you know, we can really push for that. Well, one of the big things I've noticed over the last couple of weeks has been a fair bit of social media um, outrage over some racist slurs mm. towards a couple of our players. Yeah. Um, and the fact that a lot of other players from other clubs and other backgrounds have jumped on board to con condemn what's happened on social media and I think that says a fair bit for our game and how far it's come that other players are willing to put their neck on the line and speak out mm. similar things happened around you know players not singing anthems and, and stuff like that where non-indigenous players also said well they have the right to do that because it's their belief that they don't believe in that anthem yeah. um, and that other people have stood up because it's quite it, well, it's not easy but it, for people to stand up for themselves you know it 
it, it's one thing, but for other people outside that to then give them the voice as well yeah. makes a big difference. And I think that's what the NRL is really trying to push forward and try to do and give everyone a voice. Well, yeah, we look at what happens in um, the United States with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee um, during, during the anthem and I guess how much outrage that caused and how much um, the players were... Um, were I guess criticised or were oh, shut ostracized, out of the game, ostracised, vilified, yeah, vilified, yeah, vilified for for doing that. Um, and you look at our players. If you go back to state to state of origin, we had a bunch of Indigenous players um, not not singing the anthem. So similar sort of, st- not the physical bit yeah. of, of kneeling, but a s- similar sentiment. But, but it come out and and actually said that this is what I'm doing. And our game is not vilifying them by saying, well, now you're going to be suspended or you're going to be fined or what, whatever. So I think I'm proud of our game for that. I think there's a lot of things, you know, as same as in society, a lot of there's a long way to go and a lot of things we can do better, but there's a signal that compared to what was happening over there, um, you know, we have some sort of understanding. And I just want to ask him in this um, group that you got together, um, do we look at things like that about creating conversations? Is it about, you know, raising awareness? Is it, you know, making sure that, you know, the guys that do want to have a voice and do want to speak up for the, you know, whether it be their, their race, their gender, whatever, are we in that place where you guys are there to support them as well? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that can be on the micro level within our environment and it can be on the game-wide, you know, even, even nationwide level that the NRL can bring in. You look at like the stuff that's gone on and continues to go on in the US and the, the whole idea that keep politics out of sport is, is really ridiculous because you've already got in that situation with Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, enormous displays well, of American patriotism. It, it happened to LeBron James when he started to come Absolutely. out and said shut up and dribble, you know, yeah. exactly, yeah. like that, that's a ridiculous statement to make to a guy who has so much influence. Correct, yeah, and the arena's already politicised. You look at anything like the, the way that the NFL has tagged itself to kind of um, celebration of the military and mm. patriotism. They have, oh, the yeah, there's um, salute to service. They wear different jerseys. Yeah, yeah. And whatever you think of that, that that's already political. Yeah. Singing the national anthem is political. Yeah. Um, so w- what it really reflects when people get annoyed about this kind of thing is that, well, you're challenging the status quo of what the political stance mm. is. And I, I think that, that sport has a wonderful place in, in our societies to do that and and, and in, in particular rugby league because you know rugby league was born as as really being the game of the gameless the sport of the people who were denied a sport in the north of England because of um, class bias and uh, and so on and if it can continue that heritage of kind of you know being the voice for the voiceless then then that's something that we should really be proud of yeah yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely and, and, I, and, and personally I just want to say that we're lucky enough to have you as our representative for the referees on, on that panel because I know, you know, how much you sort of really want to push forward and, and make everyone mm. be the best best person they can be and a lot of that's around social. Yeah, it's, it's important to remember things like, uh, take someone like Muhammad Ali, everybody wants, to, everybody wants to talk about how much they love his heritage now and everything, but remember back in the time in his present, he was vilified mm. and, oh, was and ostracised massively and it's yeah. very important to remember that these kind of things get whitewashed in history that, um, you know, he refused to go to war in, mm. in Vietnam yeah, and everything. Yeah. He was deeply politicised to the point of changing his name and um, that's not a reference to me. <laughs> You're comparing yourself to Muhammad Ali. I'm pretty sure that's what you were doing. Yeah, um, <laughs> Do I need to get a Tim Roby tattoo on my car? Awani Roby, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you look at that and, and even I'd learned a little bit recently about the Springboks tour back in Australia in 
in the 70s, 80s, yeah. or, yep. and the massive wave of protest that that brought. And, uh, and I think that played a part in politicizing a, a whole generation of student youth here. So, uh, you know, and the boycotts around sport were a big part of attacking apartheid at the time. And um, so to deny that place of sport and, and, and the profile that it can bring, the voice that it can bring is... It's so important, and, and I think it's yeah, it's a particular part of our heritage to be proud mm. of. Oh, like Badge said, we're very proud of you being our representative on that group, mate, and we're sure it'll continue to make um, good changes within our game. Um, so before we wrap up, just uh, what are you up to this weekend, Badge? Where um, are you heading, heading? Yeah, I'm uh, Newcastle on Saturday. Newcastle versus uh, the Gold Coast Titans. So um, two sides that aren't in the greatest of form, but... That poses different sort different of challenges. challenges for us on field, yeah. And, diff- and, w- and with the great Chris Butler, so that'll be fun. That's another challenge. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. But um, he's always fun to be around. I've got a different type of challenge um, on the touchline for the Manly and Melbourne game. Which, Actually, um, I read in the paper today that they're going to put the top officials on this game. Is that why you're on it? Oh, maybe the appointments are going to get changed <laughs> now then. <laughs> because of the game that I refereed 10 years ago that turned into a debacle. I remember that. Yeah. I was in the stands for that. Um, and Tim, you've got, you're heading somewhere pretty different and special this weekend. Yes, so I've got my first trip to Papua New Guinea, which is um, something I've been complaining about that I've never been there in all my years <laughs> in the game. So, yeah, I'm really excited to go there. I'm doing a, a women's game between the Broncos and the, the PNG team. So, um yeah, a couple of days in, in Port Moresby. Awesome. And I can't wait. That'll be it's a great, great experience. Yeah, that'll be a great experience. One of the best experiences I've ever and, had. And I'm sure you'll you'll great. appreciate it. You'll love it, mate. Um, so with that, we'd like to encourage everyone to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Facebook page is NRL Officiating, and our Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials from across the country, from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you're interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. And Tim Alwani Roby, thank. Thank you very much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Um, And thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye.